Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time to rewrite the mother code. Hi, and welcome to Rewrite the Mother Code with me, Dr. Gertrude Lyons. I am sitting here, just finished recording with Elena Joy Thurston, and I know you're going to love this interview. I got goosebumps many times, teared up many times. Elena is a powerful speaker, and she's speaking from her heart when it comes to her experience and the deep and profound work she's doing in the LGBTQ plus community in the arenas of inspirational talks and her podcast and as a speaker, trainer, and author on diversity and allyship. She is really making a mark and really making headway, but we get to hear a lot about her journey and what led her there. And it's particularly resonant with the rewrite the mother code because she has battled, um, overcome, explored, turned herself inside out, rewriting codes and really allowing herself to be fully herself and be fully the individual, the woman and the mom that she is now. And it's, I'm sure you'll feel electricity when you listen to it. So I'm also recording this the day after Mother's Day. So it fits so perfectly, right? So I'm going to say something a, a little, just a couple words about Mother's Day and and that whole thing. And then it'll this will be aired in June, which I'm super excited about because June, as we know, is the LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And I'm so happy that there's a full month for, you know, that's dedicated to the celebration and commemoration of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender pride. This is a month that's being set aside. It began, you know, it had its beginnings in the midst of unrest and protests in 1969. And, you know, was really born out of a time that really needed, you know, the space to be showcased and liberated in so many ways. I think that still holds you know, very true for how it's celebrated in current day. But as time goes on and things happen, things like these kinds of celebrations can get morphed and and we can lose the original power and impact and meaning. And I think that's really the case, way too significantly the case when it comes to looking at Mother's Day. And, you know, it's, this is a holiday that, you know, if you're born anytime in this this century and a good part of last century over the decades of these centuries, you know, we see it as this day to honor mothers and, you know, for the work that they do, the the love that they give. But it's been turned into this multi-million billion dollar industry and something that has become very commercial and can often be superficial and confusing to women. It's like, am I supposed to celebrate my mother? Do I celebrate myself if I'm a mother of children? What if I don't have children? Where do I fit in there? And not until I was first doing a webinar around Mother's Day several years ago, did I really kind of dive in deep for myself to look at, you know, the origins and where did this whole Mother's Day thing come from? And I love the seeds of where this come from. And I'm sad and upset that this isn't what it's still about in this day and that it's gotten so watered down. So just to say a couple quick things. So Mother's Day actually started as a women's peace day. And it was about women coming together, holding the pole of peace during wartime. And this was a time and space to honor and poignantly, you know, highlight the feminine yin values of peace and caring and 
cooperation as opposed to war and ownership and greed, really. So it was Julia Ward Howe, and I think she's quite the badass for her time. And she wrote a Mother's Day proclamation. And I want to touch on a couple of pieces of it because so she lived between 1819 and 1910. She was really wanting women to come together and really rally around peace and and honor, you know, the not only the work women were doing at the time to care and and be of service, but that we also like didn't want it to be happening to begin with, right? So that is the case. So it this is how it starts. And actually I I think I'm going to read the whole thing because it's so powerful. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears, say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor, nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left at home of home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace, each learning after his own time, the sacred impress, not of Caesar, but of God. In the name of womanhood and of humanity, I earnestly ask that a general Congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and at the earliest period consistent with its objects to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. So I don't know about you, but that's a far cry from how I traditionally celebrate Mother's Day, but so timely, so timely for our time and so needed and what has me passionate in the rewrite the mother code framework is for us to come together as one team, you know, one collective in honor of our feminine values and the power of mothering. Cause that's what she's talking about is like, let's mother, you know, let's put down our weapons, which so needed at this time. So I, I bring this to focus because I think it's important and it's timely. Cause for me, I'm finding myself the day after but also, you know, in alignment with my guests and in alignment with Pride Month and, you know, honoring and celebrating that we're coming together to be a collective in favor of all of humanity, honoring each other's differences. And, you know, with Rewrite the Mother Code, I want us to honor women's different choices. We all make different choices. We all mother a bit differently and and let's honor each other, you know, for that, not judge and take each other down for it. I think our the guest coming on is going to do a beautiful job with that and also highlight how important you know our inner work coming to terms with ourselves from our past from you know what has wounded us and sometimes out of those wounds we make certain choices and then what we hope to get to is more and more conscious choices, more conscious decisions that really are from our heart and critically thought through our and using our heads for, for higher good. And I'm really looking forward to, and it can't come soon enough to have that space for myself. It's why I do, well, it's why I do my coaching. It's why I do the things that I do, but particularly, you know, coming up in September, which will end up being right around the corner, 
coming so fast will be my fall retreat. And, you know, that's, you know, a place I do my work. I like to bring women together for us to be in this collective place of knowing ourselves so that we can be that force in the world, so that we can collect ourselves, remember what matters, remember what's important and live it and have the courage to live it. You know, this Julia Ward Howard had some serious courage, you know, to put this out. And and I don't dishonor that the women that followed and really wanted to establish, you know, a day to honor each particular mother in and of herself and, you know, how that came about is still important, you know, and I, I don't want to belittle Anna Jarvis, you know, who really got the president Woodrow Wilson to proclaim it a national holiday. And as it was a term, then a public expression of our love and reverence for all mothers. And if we show that through flowers, if we show that through cards, you know, and brunches and dinners and whatnot, that's beautiful. But let's see how much we can also bring to the surface and honor what those values really are and where they lead us. So that's where we'll go as we head into this space. Do join me on my September retreat. I would love to have you. There's still some spaces. I look forward to us um, having that journey together. And I'm so thrilled and excited and honored to have my friend, my co, what, what do you say? Like co, we're in an awesome group together, which I'll talk about, Speaker Collective, Elena Joy, who is such an inspiration to me and why I'm so excited to have her on the show. And I'm going to say a whole lot more about her, but welcome, Elena. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. This is a long time coming. I'm glad we got an opportunity to do this together. Exactly. It's one of those like, why haven't we done this sooner? This seems (laughs) kind of silly given (laughs) we're, you know, in a, do you mind if I share how we know each other? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we're in a I don't know. I still call it a speaker collective, but an advanced speaker collective of women putting their voices out in the world that's led by Alexia Vernon. And our group in particular is called Legacy because that's what we're about is leaving a legacy. (laughs) So we support. So I have an inside view on many layers and feel very honored to have that view with the work that you're doing, Elena. It's so needed and so beautiful. It is big work, big work, big, big work. So why don't I say a little bit about what it is, you know, from that, that fancy formal way. And then, (laughs) then we'll like dig in and get more personal with each other about it. Yeah. So Elena Joy is the founder and you used a term volunteer director is that how you volunteer executive director yeah we're trying to make it really clear especially because we're young nonprofits we're trying to you know gather support donations etc and we try to keep a very low overhead so yes i'm the volunteer Ah. executive director yeah of the pride and joy foundation so that is so cool i didn't know that aspect so i know i'm going to learn a lot of things that even though i thought i knew you so well and (laughs) same with me so a little more about elena So Elena's been featured in the award-winning documentary Conversion because Elena Joy is, I hope you're going to talk about that because it's so amazing. We just name it here, but I, it's really amazing and cool, but she's also an inspirational diversity and allyship speaker, trainer, and author through a lens of the LGBTQ plus inclusion. Elena Joy inspires her audience to learn how inclusive leadership can improve company morale, productivity, changing members' lives in a practical way. A Mormon mom of four who lost her marriage, her church, and her community when she came out as a lesbian. Her viral TEDx talk, which I highly recommend watching, on surviving conversion therapy has been viewed more than 45,000 times and landed her media and speaking opportunities with ABC, CBS, Fox, Penn State, University of North Texas, Michaels, Logitech, and more. I know there's more because I hear you talking about them. Such big, deep, meaningful, beautiful work and a very courageous journey, which is what I'm looking forward to us being able to dig into and share more about. But just in this realm of kind of what you're doing and, you know, current state with you with 
the Pride and Joy Foundation. Do you want to say a little bit about that? And then we'll go into a bit more around your mothering journey. And because you have been massively rewriting mother codes. Oh my God. (laughs) 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 Absolutely. Let's see. So the TED Talk went live in in November of 2019. And so by January, I had quite a few speaking engagements on the books, many of which were with colleges for their LGBTQ plus student resource centers. And then we all know March 2020 hit and all of those engagements were canceled. Mm -hmm. And while everyone was laying face down on the couch, what was becoming really apparent very quickly was we had this huge population of college students who had been sent home without any warning, right? Mm-hmm. Many of them had waited to come out until they were off to college and their parents didn't know, or if they did know, they weren't necessarily affirming and they weren't living with their community. They were living with oftentimes their straight parents, right? And yeah. so with all of the community resources closed, it was really disconnecting. And we were seeing our suicide rate go very high in the community. And so that's where the Pride and Joy Foundation started because I am a mom of four kids. And at that point I had one who was almost off to college and to think about my babies, you know, being so disconnected from their community Mm -hmm. and from affirming adults in their lives. It was time to do something. So we started Pride and Joy Foundation. Our mission is to prevent suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ plus community. And we pursue that in a few different ways. One is that we amplify the voices and the visibility of individuals in the community. And one of the big reasons we do that is not only for their own mental health and wellness, because we all need to be seen, we all need to be heard, right? But also we then take that visibility and we we include it in the support that we give parents of LGBTQ plus youth. We need them to see a future vision for their children. You know, not everyone's going to become RuPaul and Elliot Page, right? right. Like we need them to be able to see there are scientists and accountants and writers and programmers and all kinds of successful, happy, safe, fulfilled LGBTQ plus adults in the world. And so, and oftentimes those individuals that we've lifted and amplified their voices, they come back to our parents and help support our parents as well Mm -hmm. in really powerful ways. So yeah, we have our parent program, which is one really strong arm of pride and joy. We really, I know what it's like to be that conservative parent and to, to just want to protect your kid. And when you have all of this propaganda coming at you, that there's an entire community out there that's trying to harm your child well, of course, we're going to go into mama bear mode, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it takes other mama bears to help us understand, oh, that was a completely false narrative that I was being fed. And so that's who I can be is I can be this mom who looks and acts just like them (laughs) in many ways, right? I look like everyone's neighbor, but I have been able to deconstruct my own homophobia in order to embrace my authenticity And I never got the opportunity to live my teenage young adult life as my true self. And I don't want their kiddos to miss out on that. And I don't want those moms to miss out on that first date and that first crush and that first (laughs) kiss and going to prom with your person. You know what I mean? Like I'm here to help those moms and those parents be able to have that authentic affirming relationship with their kids. That's so beautiful. And I have goosebumps and (laughs) I, Eyes are getting a little wet. <laughs> it's, it's too it's soon, Gertrude. No, I know. <laughs> we'll just start it now, right? I guess, first of all, thank you. And thank you for turning, because I know this wasn't the career you started with, you know, in your life. And it's a pivot for sure, but one that is born out of a, a lived experience and in the caring, like you just described, for what you want, you know, for the kids, but, and for the parents, I hadn't heard it framed that way about what they're missing out on, you know, by not engaging and really opening up and digging in. Okay. So let's hear about you and your mothering journey a little bit, because you're a very different in some ways. Well, I guess that's what we'll talk about. How are you different? How are you not? Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of how a frame time frame that we talked about or that you put out to me is, how was I mothering? What did motherhood look like for me 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to me now? Mm -hmm. And if you wouldn't mind speaking into that, because that's obviously very 
rewrite the mother code, right? That we're learning and growing and transforming and along the way, and we shouldn't be the person or mother we were 10 years ago, but this, but your story is one I want to share for sure. Thank you. Let's see. My parents were pretty dysfunctional and both of them. My mom was more in my life because my parents got divorced when I was eight. And so by the time I was a teenager, I had struggled so much with my mom and the way she parented. And I ended up moving in with my dad and my stepmom for my teenage years, uh, which was a better situation. Now that I'm a full-blown adult and I know a few things about the world and I have some Mm -hmm. perspective, I'm pretty sure my mom is borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And when I'm able to, even if she's not, obviously I'm not a doctor, but we can have a better relationship and I can feel better about my mom if I put her with that label. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. So many things make sense. It's so much easier to forgive many different things, right? Yeah. But the impact of that when I was a kid was that I was, by the time I was 15, I was really searching for... I don't know how to, what a good family is. I don't know what a functioning family is. I don't know how to be a functioning mom. Like I was really questioning all those things, right? And so then when a church came into my life that said, we can teach you how to have the best kind of family. We can teach you how to be the best mom, the mom God wants you to be. Mm. Well, that sounded really, really good. I was always a person who loved checklists. I loved a a finite way to know that I was doing well, that I was a good person, right? All those things. And so to have a prescribed plan, first you do this, then you do this. That sounded great, right? right? (laughs) And there was a bargain in there that if you did those things, God would love you. And that sounded great too. I would have some control over being loved. I mean, we can all see like what happens developmentally to get to that point, but that's where I was. So I joined the Mormon church when I was 16 years old. I was the only member of my family to do so. And my mom had grown up Catholic. My dad had grown up Episcopalian. Those two boring concepts. We weren't really into religion at home, Hmm. not in the traditional way. So, yeah, I joined, you know, two feet first, right into the baptism font. And Uh, I loved this idea that, you know, I saw these families at church that it seemed really functional every Sunday, mom, dad, kids in the pew, like at the activities, they were doing the things, right? And so I really put that up on a pedestal and thought, that's what I want my adult life to be like, uh, right? Yeah. So I met my husband when I was 19. We got married when I was 20. We um, went off to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and started his, I graduated from Arizona State. He had gone on a mission, so he was a few years behind me. So we got up to BYU. He started going through school. I started working full time and trying to get pregnant because that's what you do. That's what you do. That's yeah. what that's your whole job, right? Mm-hmm. I look back now and I'm thinking about how what I've learned about how our brains are not fully formed until we're 25. Mm-hmm. And yet here I was one married, two married with the Mormon concept of it's not just till death do you part, it's for time and all eternity. We're going to be together for eternity. So yeah, of course, at 20 years old, I can make that choice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I have the data. I, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then at 23, I was able to have my first baby. I um, It took two years of trying. I thought I was broken. And then we got pregnant and I had a miscarriage, a very early miscarriage. Again, absolutely convinced I was broken, but then got pregnant soon after that and had my first baby at 23. Second baby came three weeks before Chad graduated with his master's. So less than two years later, I had my second. And by the way, his name really is Chad. I am not throwing shade. (laughs) Regardless of what the name implies, he's actually a lovely person. (laughs) But people always think that I... Really? Yeah, no. (laughs) I know, right? No, it's Chad. (laughs) Yeah, and then he graduated and we came back to Phoenix where all of his family was, his parents, his five siblings, everyone was here. And and he was raised started, Mormon? Mm-hmm, very okay. Mormon, like pioneer stock is what we call it. He came wow. across, the, his family came across the plains. They were joining, they joined in the 1800s and the Thurstons had kept that up the whole time. So very different, coming from very different families. 
no one in his family was divorced, you know, like very different things. So, and I, of course, again, I put that up on a pedestal. Like I wasn't just joining a family. I was joining a tribe, an ideal, exactly. Right. This is exactly what I wanted. The most stable, functional family unit I could find. So, and then determined to create that for myself as well. So he started working full time. He was in public accounting. So he was working 60, 80 hours a week. And I was raising two babies. Four years later, we had our third. And two years after that, we had our fourth. And just grinding. I would say Mm. grinding. You know, when you're Mormon, it's not just on Sundays. It's also you have a calling or a church job that's typically 10 to 30 hours a week. So that's on top of anything else that you might be doing. You've got meetings during the week. Church on Sundays is three hours long. Like it's not just a religion. It's a culture. Mm. It's a lifestyle that's everyone in your world because that's the only people you have time for. Right? Yes. Yeah. So speed ahead to the year my youngest went to kindergarten and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I had six hours a day to think for myself. And at these quiet moments of the day, and there were more of them now that they were all in school, these quiet moments would happen and this little thought would sneak into my head that I hated my life. Mm. And that was the most shameful thought that I could imagine because I knew exactly how hashtag blessed my life was. Right. Yeah. We were in a beautiful neighborhood that I had picked out. We had built the house. We had the green grass and the white picket fence literally throughout the neighborhood. Like at that point, Chad was bringing in a lot of money. I was a professional photographer, but I didn't have to be. Right. It was my passion and my love. My four kids were healthy. I knew how blessed I was. Yeah. How could I possibly not love this life that I'd worked so hard to create? Mm-hmm. Right. It was everything I had ever wanted. I thought. So then as the quiet moments extended and I had to get away from that feeling, I did what every mom in the neighborhood did. I joined a gym to get my body back because, you know, (laughs) babies are in school now. So I was killing it in the gym and I started to realize how much I actually enjoyed being in my body. Mm. Again, with the perspective that I have now, I realized like I was going I had some serious PTSD going on. I was all in my head. I was not in my body at all. And in the Mormon church, when you attend the temple, you make covenants and promises. And the representation of those covenants is what's called a temple garment. So it's clothing that you wear under your clothes and like the bottoms go down to your knee and the top has a high neck and sleeves. And so of course it ensures modesty, right? You're going to cover all of that up with your clothing. But also you're supposed to always wear it unless it is sex or swimming. You're supposed to always be wearing it. And so I would get out of the shower, not even look in the mirror, right? Immediately put my garments on. Mm -hmm. It had been 20 years, 17 years since I had seen my body. Like talk about the disconnect, right? So um, I'm also feeling, I'm just going to interrupt one second there. Well, there's so many things I I know, right? (laughs) comment on, but I'll just pick this one, you know, at this juncture, but the things that we do and that we go through one, you know, to fill an emptiness or a hole that like was there because of, you know, your parenting and Mm -hmm. the not feeling seen or loved. I can relate to a borderline mom and Mm -hmm. you're hungry. You're not so looking for that one, the solidity, you know, of, Because you never know, well, in my situation, and again, it was undiagnosed also, you know, you never knew what mom you were going to get, right? So Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. at one point, like actually, you know, fairly loving and, and sweet, and then another mm-hmm. is the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. So that desire, of course, you're going to look for something, you know, I'm just feeling just such huge compassion for the journey, right? And mm-hmm. then, you know, with, and maybe this is too early, but you know, what you've realize and, you know, gets revealed later, like, of course, the idea of covering your body and just Mm kind of tuning out because tuning in was going to be too dangerous. I mean, I think your little girl and then teenage girl like chose very wisely to, you know, because Mm -hmm. we're doing what we think to the best of our ability is going to take care of us. Absolutely. Right. And it did, you know, and then you had the courage to start feeling. And so that's now we'll get back to it. Yes. Thank you. mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So working out, I was weightlifting. I was at one of those gyms that, yeah, it's practically a family, right? You go in and you do all the hard things like five days a week. And I really was enjoying for the first time having a community outside of the church, which was Mm. fascinating. I was hearing conversations I'd never heard before, right? And getting to talk to people about something other than my kids and other than church, like that was huge, right? I hadn't had that in a really long time. And recognizing that I could feel my body and I kind of relished being in my body when I would do those deadlifts and I would max out all the different like internet tabs in my brain would shut down because if you're distracted at all, you're going to hurt yourself. Right. And so I'd never really done yoga or meditation before and experienced that like single point of focus and being truly embodied. And I began to just crave it. It just felt Mm -hmm. so good. And so I ended up for the first time in my life, starting to become a long distance runner. I am not a natural runner by any Mm -hmm. means, but I really did love if I pushed hard enough for long enough, the same thing would happen. I would get into that state of peace and and stillness and, Mm -hmm. and really in my body, which was such a new experience for me. And then there were still too many hours in it, the day. <laughs> in an acceptable way, we'll say, yes, right? Like this, yeah. was, this was a way that then your system was the part that wanted and was starting to awaken to wanting mm-hmm. more, you know, mm-hmm. was finding ways to have it that still fit the, fit the yes, paradigm. Yes, fit the norm. Fit yeah. the norm. Absolutely. It was fine for Elena to go off to the gym and to go off because running. Because that was fine. looking good and getting yourself, you know, mm-hmm. the family looking good and being in good shape and yeah. the way you present is, I believe, very important. Right? Yes, the, absolutely. Because yeah. you're representing the religion, right? Yeah. You're yeah. always a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> so many things. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March, 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather, if that's the space that you're in, and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo meaning land of the goddess women. And coming to really take time for yourself. Okay, and that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go? It's a five and a half day retreat, getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone. I will be honest, you know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up, but now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Yeah. 
Yeah. So a lot of hours in the day still. And I was, like I said, a photographer at the time. And I had a friend who was a fly fisher and he was like, we go off on these trips. We spend thousands of dollars fly fishing in Alaska or Patagonia or wherever. And most fly fishermen, 99% are catch and release. They don't keep the fish. Mm -hmm. So the only thing you have after that amazing trip are photos on your phone. That's it. Right. And so he was asking me, can you teach me how to take better photos with the light and the water and the fish? And in exchange, I will teach you how to fly fish. And I was like, sure, another hobby. Yay. (laughs) But It turned out to be really great. So it was the exact same concept. If you were distracted at all, you would end up with this massive knot, right? Like you would get nothing done and you'd spend hours trying to undo the knot. So you had to focus And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. And I found some friends to go, local friends to go fly fishing with. And well, you're, and you say this in your TED talk, like, where do you live? Yeah, Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) So many fly fishing opportunities in Arizona. There are a few. We just have to drive a few hours to get there. But there's some. I know. know. We have mountains. Yeah, it is funny. It's ridiculous. Like you're a fly fisher from Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, I am. Thank you very much. So yeah, I found myself standing in a river like that in and of itself, right, Mm -hmm. is so good for your body and mind. Mm -hmm. And then to be fly fishing and just getting again down to that single point of focus and the embodiment and realizing I love being in my body and I'm actually safe in my body. And this isn't something that I need to deny or restrict, which is very much the sentiment of the religion that your body is very temporal. It's here to tempt you. And so your job is to overcome your body so that you can get into heaven. Your job is to control your body so you can get into heaven, right? So this very different concept of, no, I actually really just love being in my body and I think my body is speaking to me and my body is telling me new things. And one of them was that I was completely in love with my best friend. Mm -hmm. And as much as I tried to deny that, I really feel like once my body started speaking, it was not going (laughs) to shut up. (laughs) And unfortunately, the the good side is that the love was absolutely beautiful and it made me happier Mm -hmm. than I had ever been in my whole life. The downside was, is that immediately I was at war with myself. There was my mind and my faith and there was my body and my heart Mm -hmm. and they were completely at odds. And that will lead to a mental breakdown pretty quickly, (laughs) pretty quickly. That's a a huge at odds. um, Absolutely. Place to be. Yeah. So I eventually went into my bishop. I confessed the same sex attraction and Many of my rights as a church member were removed from me, and I was told to repent. Um, And all of a sudden, everything was chaos, right? This very prescribed life that I had lived and my job with the church and my marriage and all of my friends, my entire network, all of a sudden it was thrown into chaos. And it felt desperate to fix the situation. I've got to fix this. And so I found a guy who said he could fix it. He had been a licensed therapist for 40 years. He now was uh, working as a coach because the state just required too much paperwork. That should have been a red flag, but it Mm. wasn't. Made sense to me. So I signed up and I I went to his sessions. He said he'd been doing it for 40 years. It would take one to two months. It was two hours a day, four days a week. And I went for six months. Wow. And 57% of participants become suicidal. And that's definitely where I got to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I hit rock bottom. And the day that I had chosen to be my last, I found myself in emergency services and got real help mm-hmm. from real doctors. And I was put on medication for the first time in my life and finally was able to start sleeping because uh, when you have four kids, like when was the last time you actually slept, right? Right. <laughs> and, you know, undiagnosed anxiety and depression. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that lends to it as well. <laughs> so there I was sleeping. And every time I woke up, I was connecting these dots. And his premise was this person, I'm not going to call him a therapist. This mm-hmm. person's premise was something happened to you traumatic as a child mm-hmm. that made you not trust men. And you think you're attracted to women. So if we can find that event and we can heal it, 
then you'll be attracted to men again. You'll trust them again. And so, yeah. Yes, that would I, could sound reasonable, right? It like, did. That does, it did that sound logical. Right? Mm-hmm. Logical. We'll put it. Yeah. But yeah. obviously way off, right? but way off. awful. And I was desperate, right? My blinders sure. were way up. I didn't even Google him. I didn't do any research at all, which is so unlike me. I'm the research queen. I will be confused all day long (laughs) for bath towels. But in this situation, (laughs) I could not. Yeah, he had found an event. I was 15 years old. I had been assaulted and I had never told anyone ever. And for six months, we worked on that event trying to resolve it. Yeah. Which it had made you would want to, right. Like you want to work on a traumatic event like that, yes. but not to make you not who you are. Right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, totally misguided. And that oh, makes me angry to think yeah. that you could take something that really does happen and has an impact on you and then twist it to say that's a reason. Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely. You know, a founding, so I was connecting these dots. And yeah. so at the time, what was happening was the Me Too movement. And I was seeing these headlines. And then the Brett Kavanaugh hearing happened. And his mm. her story was so similar, like ridiculously similar to mine, that it was so intense to watch that whole play out. And to hear the men in my life respond to that, it was just wild. And as we started to see these statistics that three in five American women have been assaulted at some point in their life. I was finally connecting these dots of three out of five American women are not gay. Like those numbers are not even close. And I started finally to think about the women in my life that I knew that had been victims of horrible assault and still had really close connected relationships with their husbands and other men and realizing, oh, none of this is true. I have been lied to. What else have I been lied to about? Right. And that became the whole deconstruction. But I will say an absolutely pivotal moment in me deciding to stop going to conversion therapy, stop trying to change who I was, was this idea, you know, they really tried to convince me that I, if I ever came out, I would really damage my children. In, In fact, one therapist who was licensed and Mormon told me, you need to take this secret to your grave. You will destroy your kids' mental health if you come out to them. Wow. And that, I think, really wow. fed into why I went to conversion therapy for so long. Of course, because right? If you could, I may, even if every part of you knew it wasn't true, mm-hmm. that that was a farce, it's like, but wait, this person that is supposedly credible is saying it could right. impact my children. Yes. So that changes everything, right? It really um, does. I'll really sacrifice does. myself mm-hmm. for their benefit. Um, and and in those first like- days after being with emergency services and getting actual real help, I came to this realization that I was this close to making my four kids have to attend their mother's funeral. Like that thought in and of itself was trumped everything, trumped everything. Like I might not be able to be in heaven with them, but I can make sure that they don't have that memory for the rest Mm -hmm. of their lives. Right. So that was the day I decided it's better for my kids to have a gay mom than a dead mom. I need to stay. I need to stay. So, and that continues to be a guiding light for me because evidence has come out that 92% of LGB, not T, they trans people have a totally different statistic, but of LGB people that go into conversion therapy, 92% that struggle with lifetime suicidal ideation. Our brains are rewired. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Our brains have been rewired and it is still now probably four times a year. I have to remind myself it is better for my kids to have a gay mom than a dead mom. I have to stay. So it's become a really integral part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much, I mean, there's not a lot to like (laughs) be with other than to be, I mean, you know, I just also want to honor the moment of just being with these truths, Elena and your willingness. So, and underline the fact that when you go out to speak, you know, and when you go out to share about your journey, you're telling a story and um, that takes huge courage and, and uh, it's so vulnerable, right? But such a gift, like, even though I've heard some of it and know it, it's hitting me in a deeper way. So thank you um, for having that courage and doing that. And, you know, when you said that about, it reminds me, 
that I think sometimes, and I think this is somewhat what we're also sold in any kind of like therapy or that, that we can get fixed, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. this problem, whatever it may be that we have, that whatever dissatisfaction or, you know, like from the small, that it's about getting fixed and that someday you'll be fixed. If you do this, you'll get fixed and you won't have that problem anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's just never the case, you know, so better to know that and know and not even think, because I can also see, oh, 92, I think you said 92% still, mm-hmm. you know, will have, you know, remnants and suicidal ideation that we can say like, well, I'll be the other 8% and try and ignore it. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, <laughs> it's going to sneak up on you. So to just face that mm-hmm. truth and then do the self-care that it needs to like, well, it's not if, but when. So when mm-hmm. that comes up and yes. you have a mantra, a very powerful mantra for yourself that brings you back, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what we need. We just need to come back. You know, we just yes. went somewhere. And mm-hmm. and I think also to, I know I've shared with you and work I've done with Jill Bolte-Taylor and Whole Brain Living, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Now I see why this, even more so why that was meaningful to you or why you're like, oh, I'm interested in that. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because this is total character too. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. I won't go into details and explain that, you know, where this is what makes us human, right? Mm -hmm. This is the human endeavor. And, but unlike, I think what I was hearing you say, the church was trying to tell you like, well, this human experience, you just have to get through and overcome the human experience, right? Mm -hmm. Versus no, fully live it, fully have, you know, the experience that you're having, and within that, you'll have tastes of heaven. We also don't have, you know, our character three and four will certainly tell us that like we can experience what we may consider heaven, but, you know, connection or that oneness or connection to something bigger than ourselves, you know, or universal mm-hmm. is possible. We don't have to wait for it till we die and like live this like unlife, you know, which is really what I'm hearing is is an unlife. And I'm also getting in a way too, and I think this happens to women just in general in motherhood when we're on that journey is the fear that's instilled in us, right? There's mm. this fear of doing it right or wrong. And that was so much a part of your journey too. Like the the fear and all these choices around mothering are fear-based. And, yes. and then we make choices out of that limbic fear mm. place to, for survival. And mm. so much of what you were saying, it's like, okay, how am I going to survive? And like I said, I thought you did a very smart job in how you did that, but you were one, you lived and that got wired in with the chaos and the dysfunction of your family. And then choosing one that looked functional, it looked put together, but it was in reactivity to the other, Mm -hmm. right? It was, oh, well, I don't want that. So I'm going to go to this opposite, you know, and Mm -hmm. this, oh my God. And you did it so well, like a family that's been together for (laughs) generations, right? And of course we're fed to believe that like, well, if they're not divorced, that they must be happy, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. not divorce equals happy. And we all know that's not the case. You right. know? <laughs> I'm sure if we interviewed all those in reality, you know, <laughs> people along the way. So it's just bringing up so much around this and, you know, what we're led to believe, how much in the mothering space it's led by fear. And then how do I have a sense of self, which is what then you dug into so deeply, for yourself through the therapy and, you know, the work to really own and find yourself and find who you were in love, you know, cause I'm seeing you now and I've, you know, <laughs> that who really lives her name joy, you know, that you can touch those spaces. I think because you've touched the pain and despair at its, you know, as you said, rock bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we allow ourselves to have that full range, then we actually can feel full joy and, experience that. So that's some of what I'm getting. And I also know there's other aspects of you and your mothering because you mentioned, but I don't think you got to the end of like, so tell me, Elena, did you ruin your children? Are they are they, <laughs> are they ruined? Please do share oh, how you ruined my. your children. You know, I probably ruined them by forcing them to clean the bathrooms on the weekend. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, they are not ruined those first few years were definitely rough. So my older two kiddos are boys and the younger two are girls. Mm. And 
you know, I had raised my boys to be strong priesthood holders in the church, and I had raised them with these very strict rules of what is right and what is wrong. And it's up to you to choose the right. And if you don't choose the right, there's going to be hell to pay, right? Like, I was a very different person then. I And I've come to realize I was judging myself so much and holding myself to this very black and white framework of good and bad that it was seeping out onto my children. My expectations of them were just as strong and ridiculous as I had of myself, Mm -hmm. right? And the culture really supported that. That's what you had to do to be a good parent. And, you know, I didn't come out to them for a while because I was sure that my boys would just walk away from me. Like, how could they accept this part of me? I finally did come out to them and they kind of already knew and (laughs) they were figuring it out. And I don't know how they did that in those first few years because there's such warring concepts of Mm -hmm. how could they both really believe in the church and be okay with their mom. And, And then later, much later, you know, my little girl's He didn't really have an issue with mom having a girlfriend. That was never on the prescribed list of things to watch out for, right? That was never (laughs) anticipated. But the day they found a bottle of wine on my counter, they were in tears. Like that to them was sin because that had always really been taught to them as sin. So, you know, it was little things like that that I didn't anticipate, but they kind of started to kind of wrap their brain around and okay, I'm I'm still believing mom is a good person, even though she has a glass of wine in her Mm -hmm. hand, right? That was an intense deconstruction for them. And then not long after that, about two years ago, my oldest daughter came out to me. Mm. And that was just mind blowing. You know, my girlfriend had a clue. She wasn't that surprised. (laughs) I had no clue. (laughs) I was completely shocked. Man, talk about solidifying the idea that my kids really are better off with a gay mom. I really did need to break break what was binding us so that we could all live our really authentic lives. And I've seen that play out in the others as well, maybe not in terms of sexual orientation, but definitely in terms of owning who they are. Yeah, They are much farther ahead at their ages than I ever was. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I mean, just those words, right? Like, And I don't think that's what's talked about, about being a good mother, right? In, in any regard, right? It, they're trying to meet these cultural expectations and they're a reflection of us and they have to be good. And what does that mean versus building us? My job is to help them build a sense of self and an independent sense of self. And I think that gets, that's a code that doesn't, you know, get explored all that much because we're so in, you know, yours was a very significant paradigm to be in, you know, and, but, you know, all the moms and women I work with are in some paradigm or another, mm-hmm. right? We're in a, we live in a cultural paradigm of mothering, right? It's, it, and it really isn't about making it all wrong. It's, it's, you came to it in a way that like was life or death. And so to speak, right. I'm either going to mm-hmm. confront this, who I am thing, or I'm not going to be here if I don't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, sort of felt like you didn't have a choice, but we all have a choice, right? And you had a choice to just stay. And I, I just imagine how many women have stayed and men, you know, that have stayed in the paradigm because that yes. just still, no matter how much we know in our heart, it's wrong. Like our head mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't feel safe and we'll sacrifice Absolutely. that sense of self and what's possible. And, and, you know, to hear your story and hear it and just you know, how it's expanded and exploded the possibilities in your family, not restricted them like we were taught to believe. If you stray from this, Mm -hmm. you know, everything will collapse and fall apart and you'll lose it all as opposed Mm -hmm. to taking the risk and gaining what you've gained. Yeah. So, so much. And it doesn't mean that, yeah, you know, those four times a year and, you know, maybe it'll go down to three at some point, right? And maybe one, but we're still going to be prepared for it. It keeps coming to mind. I'm just going to mention it because that that message came through so strong in in the movie. Oh my gosh, I'm going to remember. It's a beautiful day. Oh my gosh, here I am mucking it up. But it's the one where Russell Crowe is schizophrenic. Beautiful uh, mind. Beautiful mind. Yes. There it is. Yes. Thank yep. you. My beautiful mind was not remembering that beautiful uh, title. <laughs> <laughs> but in everything that he goes through, you know, and to to fairly well come out on the other side. But 
you know, that that last scene where the characters are the these real that people that seem so real to him in his mind that messed him up in that schizophrenic way were still there. Like they were just it was like showing that choice, like I could say, come on over, you know, anytime. Mm-hmm. Or I could look at them and keep walking, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that we have choices like that all the time. And then there's the scene after that where he comes in and this woman standing at the classroom door, and she said, are you such and such, whatever, you know, because he was this famous, I don't know if it was a physicist or, you know, some science yeah. mind. And she's like, I'm so-and-so and I'm from the Nobel Prize Committee and we'd like to nominate you for Nobel Prize. And he the student walks by and he pulls him over. He's like, is there a person standing here? <laughs> <laughs> is there, is yeah. there someone, could you ask her to repeat what she said? You know, like, so having this humor about it too. Right. But all of these ways um, to remind ourselves that no matter, you know, and I would love for us to rewire and, and, you mm. know, rewire some of the, the wiring that isn't healthy for us, you know, some of it's good, but we need to sort it out for ourselves. Cause even if you had grown up in a decent family or more so and had more skills, you still would want to make choices that were your own. Yeah. Not just, well, these are good. I'll just adopt these. And I think, you know, your whole story just reflects it so poignantly and beautiful. Like what happens when we do this? Okay. There's so much more I would want to go into, but I do want to ask one more question. Then I want to hear how people can get in touch with you. And then I'm going to ask one more question, but (laughs) you would offer this as a possible question. I'd love to hear it. What would you say to the mom you were at 23 now being the mom that you are now? What would you say to her? There's actually nothing wrong with you. Mm. And you don't have to crowdsource your parenting skills. Look inside get really in touch. Your body holds a lot of wisdom and you don't need to deny that. You're really struggling with anxiety. Go get some medication (laughs) before you create all these pretty intense memories for your kids where I just, you know, I thought every mom would fly off the handle when a glass of milk was spilled, right? Like it's a ridiculous example, but I was always that like white knuckling just trying to get through the day and something would happen because something always happens with kids. Right. And it would, I would just implode. It was that thing that was sending over the edge and it was always the kid's fault. And boy, to be able to release myself and my kids from that would be incredible. Right. So definitely I would say that. I would also say there's a reason you don't like sex, honey. It's not because you're broken. Probably every five years, I would get to this point of like ultimate frustration and anger with myself. And I would try to find something that would, again, fix it. Right. right. Of course, never dreaming is my orientation. And I'll never forget the day. Like I was in line at a bakery with a friend. We were having a mom's night out and she was making some kind of joke. And I was re- complaining about her husband because that's what wives do, especially mm-hmm. stay at home, Mormon wives. Right. Yeah. And she made some kind of joke and I responded with something like, well, it's not like wives enjoy sex anyway. And there was like this really awkward pause. <laughs> and she looked at me. She was like, well, Lena, some do. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a pivotal moment for me to realize. I was like, like oh, what? I really am different. I really am experiencing something that Uh, other women are not experiencing. Oh, gosh, there's just little (laughs) things that get thrown us to like help ignite, you know, Mm -hmm. and add to the the path of opening Mm -hmm. ourselves to the truth. That's so beautiful. Well, I would love for people to find you, learn more Mm -hmm. about the Pride and Joy Foundation and bring you in to speak (laughs) and podcast. You have all sorts of things, but what's the best way for people to find you and uh, no more or hire you. Yeah. I'm just about everywhere except for Twitter. So if you play on Instagram, if you play on TikTok, if you play on LinkedIn, you can find me, Elena Joy Thurston. You'll be able to find me. So Pride and Joy Foundation is at prideandjoyfoundation.com. And that's where we do our parent support groups. We do public speaking classes for LGBTQ plus individuals, as well as a class to get published. We also run our own publishing company. So we have that whole thing happening. 
And then on my company side, so I'm an HR consultant. Companies hire me to develop inclusive leadership. My secret sauce is that I look and I act the way I do. So I can walk into these corporate boardrooms and talk about things like sexuality without making people feel defensive or back on their heels or like they're being judged because I can't judge them because nothing they can say to me I haven't said at some point in my life. So there's that. And yeah, that is at elenajoyexperience.com. You can see my TED talk and see the talks that I give. And yeah, it's a good time. (laughs) It sure is. Absolutely. Uh, My last question that I love to ask is, what does rewriting the mother code mean to you? I would say my past self felt that mothering was train your child up in the way that he should go and he will stay on that path. Mm-hmm. And of course it was always he, right? Mm-hmm. It was really, it was on me. If my child was going to be a good human and a good citizen, it was because I trained them to be that way. And if they didn't turn out that way, it was on me, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say I have rewritten that to they are on their own journey and I happen to be able to walk beside them and their success is on them and their failure is on them and it's not on me. And I think one of the things that I learned really early on as I deconstructed my faith and my framework of living was realizing if our perspective of life are, is a pair of glasses, right? And my kids have this very specific Mormon pair of glasses on their face. And here I am like all of a sudden realizing everything that was wrong and hurtful and painful about that framework. I can't rip those glasses off their face. Mm-hmm. Like nothing good will come from that, but I can stand with them and I can hold my hand out and I can say, when you're ready to ask the questions, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really taken that into you know, I have two kids in college now who are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. And they're feeling this intense pressure of making the right decisions. Mm. That's one of the concepts I, che- I teach in inclusive leadership is this concept of non-binary thinking. Mm. So binary thinking is like what you were saying earlier about the fear, making all these choices out of fear. What's the right way to do this? And non-binary thinking is accepting the idea that there is no right or wrong way. There's only possibility and all the possibilities are valid. And so now I take that into my parenting of there is no right way to do high school or college. There's no right way to do your friendships and the drama that happens and all of that. There's just possibility. And so many possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And I can help you discern them, but you ultimately make the choice. But let's make it as is thoughtful and it's a little critical thinking skills along with yeah. honoring our intuitive, you know, mm-hmm. gut self too. And that's a powerful mix. Very powerful. Well, thank you so, so much. This is, I, I knew it would be a blessing and I knew <laughs> we would have fun. And I, yes. um, of course, know, you know, my audience and so many people, anyone who listens to this is lucky. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. thank you thank you so much for developing this platform and then being willing to hand the mic over i really appreciate it yeah absolutely thanks elena thank you wow oh my gosh i'm still vibrating from my interview and time with elena joy thurston thank you elena we joked afterwards when we got off about how you know as a podcaster I, i never know who should have the last thank you but thank you. No, thank you. And it really is mean, you know, I, I always mean it and I know the other person does too, but it's just kind of funny, but I do have a ton of gratitude and I really honor Elena's journey and the courage and the fortitude and the awareness, you know, that it doesn't stop with that first choice of deciding to keep going and to keep moving on and to live her life and that her life had value And if she couldn't hold that value for herself, she could hold it for her children. And she would honor that it was better to have her alive. And even though in our world still considered different as a gay mom, that that was way better. And as she has proven now over the years, certainly has been a gift to her and her family. So really honoring that space and honoring the the journey you know, we as women go on 
when we're wherever the the sphere, the the phase, or the the relationship we have with mothering, and whether that be motherhood, you know, with children, or mothering all the aspects of our lives that we mother, you know, there's those opportunities in it as this vehicle for for our expansion, for our learning and development of ourselves. And I love coaching women uh, in that regard and uncovering and, you know, discovering new ways that we're following old codes that we didn't even know we were, but something just, just like Elena, something wasn't feeling right. Like she was doing all the things and she had what supposedly what every good mother, every good woman should want, you know, with all the external and, but she just knew and kind of kept following different ways that were kind of okay and allowed herself to keep exploring and uncovering. And, and I think I also want to underline how important her getting in back in contact with her body was in her journey. Like she then, you know, it was her body who started responding and telling her what she was enjoying, what wasn't feeling good, what was feeling good. And really it was that connection getting out of her head and and the fear that brought her to just live in her head in to start exploring and listening to the signals cues and uh aliveness and joy she was feeling in her body so i hope you enjoyed this episode please reach out with any thoughts questions inspirations that you've had if you want to explore coaching, and oh my gosh, if you haven't signed up for my email list, of course, I would love you on there because I keep you up to date on all the things happening in the Rewrite the Mother Cold world. So have a just beautiful day as you listen to this and really kind of hold in your hearts and look for what Pride Month means to you. If you're not directly associated with it, like obviously, then figure out a way to be and learn and explore and discover, you know, so we can have even more of that and foster even more collective connection with each other. Thank you. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother. Wait, no, subscribe to Mother Her. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women, Well, actually, everybody, men included, find it. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful, and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.